Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, February 3rd, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, the legislative debate turns from school funding to school policy. Iowa Democrats gain a new leader just as they're about to lose first in the nation status. And some 2024 news since Republicans, hashtag IA caucus, is still hashtag FITN. Hello everyone, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids, and I am on Twitter too much. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Good day. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Hello, Jared. You know, Aaron, uh, now that I got a couple of... um awards under my belt it's time to to talk uh my my contract for uh this podcast i'd, I'd like to renegotiate that uh we can we can talk about it off air okay uh, i will will uh, just as a starting marker i will propose doubling your salary uh and, okay, and you I'm come back uh, with a calendar okay all right okay <laughs> sounds good and, and and finally gazette uh columnist todd dorman is here hello todd hello i'm do we have time quick for me to display all of my Iowa Newspaper Association plaques that I've won for Master Columnist? Uh, here they are. And as you, as you may notice, there are none. <laughs> Fifteen years and I still haven't mastered the damn thing. It's rigged. It's rigged. It's fake news. Many people are saying that it's fake news, the INA Awards. No, not keep, very respected. You got to keep running up that hill, Todd, you know? Yeah. yeah now I'm not going to get that song out of my head. <laughs> so speaking uh, I'll, of tell my den- just- I'll tell my dentist I have no plaque, so he'll be. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh. See, Todd, now that is maybe why that we haven't won Master calling this is jokes like that. Maybe we should have some self-reflection here, Todd. <laughs> oh, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, hey, uh, in all seriousness, uh, for folks who aren't quite uh, up to speed on, on the joke here, the Iowa Newspaper Association Awards were uh, last night, and a very serious uh, congratulations to Jared McNett and his colleagues at the Sioux City Journal who uh, were awarded first place for government and politics coverage um, and your friendly uh, reporters here at the Gazette uh, were third place in that category uh, um, among many other awards that um, the, the Gazette was honored with uh, throughout the night. So uh, congratulations to the journal and, and Jared and the gang and, and uh, happy for all of my colleagues, uh, our Tom and I's colleagues, Tom Todd and I's colleagues, sorry, at the Gazette. Uh, it was a good night. Uh, Feel good about the work we're doing and and motivate us to to keep doing more uh, in the next year so we can brag about it next year too. We got to get the podcast in there though too. Speaking of uh, long suffering uh, lack of awards, the, the podcast never shows up. I'd, I'd give you a standing ovation, but that's always just kind of weird on Zoom. You know, it just <laughs> yeah. also it's a, it's a lot of work. You got to get out of your chair and everything and move your legs. Yeah. That's, that's too much. That's too much. It's not worth it. We appreciate the sentiment. So just just pretend that it happened. <laughs> All right, on to the business at hand. Uh, first up this week, education is still the dominant topic 
in the 2023 session of the Iowa legislature. But now that we've moved on from Governor Kim Reynolds' $345 million private school financial aid bill, since that's now law, uh, the focus has turned to public education. And while they are also talking public education funding, Republicans are proposing a 3% increase over the current year. Uh, there are also many bills moving that address K-12 policy, including uh, what teachers can teach or discuss in the classroom, especially as it pertains to topics or issues involving LGBTQ people um, and issues of race. We've got the curriculum transparency bills uh, moving, um, a, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, Jared, I wanted to start with you on this. Because one of the key state lawmakers involved with many of these bills is uh, from up in your neck of the woods, Representative Skylar Wheeler. He's a Republican from Hull, and he's in his first year chairing the House Education Committee. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about him, Jared. What, what, what do you know about Representative Wheeler and, and uh, uh, in your dealings with him? Does he, he talk about these bills that he's been uh, pushing down here at the Golden Dome? Well, um one of the first things to note with Skylar Wheeler, who's the representative for Hull, is that none of these particular legislative pushes are a surprise with him in the least bit. Um, when I messaged back and forth with him in January, he was incredibly clear about what he was making his top two priorities for this session. He said school choice and banning sex change surgeries for minors. Um, obviously, one of those has been accomplished and is now law, and the other, in a way, is being tackled, um, even though available uh, medical numbers show that actual sex change surgeries for teenagers are super rare, and that's even more true for sex change surgeries for preteens. But um, Wheeler's um, particular pushes in the education sector aren't really going to recede a lot uh, this session because he's in leadership for the education committee. And, you know, Republicans have overwhelming majorities everywhere. Um, and he kind of laid that bare uh, early in the week, which uh, I know uh, Tom tweeted about it. Uh, Wheeler said at one point, um, talking about the bill to prohibit schools from affirming, um, you know, preferred gender identities. Uh, Skyler Wheeler flat out said, we're going to pass this bill and it's going to get to the Iowa governor's desk. Um, so that's kind of the way you can, you know, legislate and talk about stuff when you have an overwhelming majority and when you've been transparent and incredibly clear about what your aims are. Yeah, and to add that, uh, he can be emboldened uh, by events like the one that I covered uh, last night here in Des Moines with the group, uh, the national group Moms for Liberty, uh, which is a group that um, uh, advocates for a lot of those types of bills. Um, and look, they didn't fill the joint by any stretch of imagination, but there was a decent crowd there and, and a crowd that was, um, you know, fully behind uh, the kind of steps and, and bills that Wheeler's proposing, and, and if not going even farther than some of the bills we've already seen. So I, I think it's safe to say um, that we haven't seen the end of these types of bills. There's going to be uh, more coming, um, and they'll go even farther than the ones that we've already seen. So um, it's, it's very much an interesting uh, year. Uh, again, this all goes back to uh, the transition we saw uh, take place in the off time here between the last session with the election, I, I think that, you know, we all thought about that as the voucher uh, issue with, with the primaries and the governor having some members of her own party knocked out by uh, Republicans who are more in line with her on the uh, private school bill. 
But I think we're seeing that that impact is not being now limited to the private school bill. We're seeing, uh, as you said, Jared, uh, more emboldened takes on some of these other bills uh, too because of that. And and, and obviously we're going to keep continuing to. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how many of these do make it through both chambers and get to the governor's desk. And the, and the thing too about uh, choosing something like schools as a kind of um, legislative battleground is that you can keep finding other things to tackle. It can be, you know, LGBTQ issues, or it can be um, CRT or however you want to package that. Um, it can be, we, we shouldn't be teaching kids Marxism in school. You can keep finding different kind of avenues to, to go down to, to legislate on this stuff. And there'll, there'll be an appetite for it because, you know, people care about uh, their kids and that's how you can kind of talk about these things. Yep. Yep. Which is, uh, which is what you hear a lot. Uh, um, uh, there's <laughs> also plenty of holes in some of those arguments and that's where uh, we come in and ask, ask some of those uh, questions um, uh, like, so what do you say to these kids um, who maybe feel like school can be a safe place uh, whereas home and other places aren't. Um, uh, uh, but, you know, that's all we can do is ask the question. Uh, we're not the ones writing the bills. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see. Like I said, and in, um, I know that there's going to be even bigger proposals coming. So it'll be interesting to see how um, widespread the support is for those uh, sorts of things uh, moving forward. You, uh, Jared mentioned uh, Tom's reporting on Representative Wheeler saying, He's confident that specific bill will get to the governor's desk, and I'm sure some others will too. It'll be interesting to see how many of them do. Um, and, uh, and boy, just an interesting year on that front. All right, uh, moving on to the next topic, uh, getting into a little politics here. It's a big time for Iowa Democrats. Last weekend, they elected a new state party leader, Rita Hart, the Southeast Iowa former state legislator and candidate for lieutenant governor and Congress. And this weekend, the National Party is scheduled to officially vote on its new presidential primary calendar. That proposal, of course, uh, boots Iowa off its enviable first-in-the-nation perch and back to the pack. Uh, and and uh, as a programming note, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, that may have already happened. Uh, we're recording midday Friday, and that vote is scheduled for uh, Saturday. Um, so let's go in chronicle order here with these um series of events. Uh, and Todd, uh, give us your take on the election of Rita Hart as state party chairwoman. It's been kind of a revolving door here. First of all, that that post uh, recently, uh, nobody's um, filled more than a, a single two-year term uh, since Troy Price left the party um, in, uh, well, after the, the, what was Troy for more than one year, one term, Todd? Or was he one term? Uh, too? I think he might have been. Yeah. So anyways, uh, was Rita Hart a good choice? Um, and from what you've heard so far, is she saying the right things about what Iowa Democrats have to do to pick themselves up off the electoral mat? Well, I, I mean, I think she's saying the right things. Whether she's the right choice remains to be seen. Um, I, I tweeted after her election that I thought her first test was to, you know, prove she could raise some some money for the state party. I got, I got some pushback for that from, from people, mostly progressives that basically want, you know, a restructuring of the party. They want a totally new message. They want more effort to organize at the grassroots, but I would submit that it's difficult to organize and to 
do all of those things without money. I mean, you can have the best message in the world, but if you can't get it out there, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter all that much. We, I mean, we saw a lot of establishment donors that Democrats could rely on the past, sort of sit on their wallets during the last election cycle. And uh, the National Democratic Party has basically written off Iowa. So, you know, whatever the party can do to raise money to help with all sorts of things, whether it be getting a message out, not just during an election year, but in in between uh, organizing, they're not going to have probably have the caucuses to help with that organizing, which has sort of sparked some of that in the past. Uh, and I think, you know, I think Hart is probably well positioned to to raise some money. I mean, when she ran for Congress in 2020, she outraised her Republican opponent, Marionette Miller-Meeks, about two to one. I think she raised about $5 million, four-point-some million dollars. Of course, outside groups came in and spent $15 million, so they're kind of kind of their, you know, individual fundraising paled in comparison. And she did lose by six votes in a, in a landslide. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and the Democratic Party does need resources. I mean, I think right now uh, with the filings last month, I think the, the Republicans have about more than twice as much in the bank as, as Democrats. I mean, you look at what's going on in the legislature now, uh, in a perfect world, the Democrats would be hitting the airwaves and saying this stuff is crazy, but they don't have the money to do that at this point. So, I mean, if the roles were reversed, Democrats or Republicans certainly would be out there on the airwaves. And we saw, you know, Governor Reynolds, an outside group paying for some ads to sell her school choice. So I get it. You know, all of all of these problems in the party need to be solved. I mean, but it makes it a lot easier to pursue, you know, a new strategy, new messaging and organizing if, if you've got some money in the bank. So I think that's sort of her first test. She needs to go out and get some of those traditional donors to, to believe in the party again. And, you know, if they have some success, then the national money comes back. But uh, at this point, I mean, they've hit, they've hit sort of bottom. They've, I mean, they've got the auditor's office. That's about it. They, they don't have a lot of money in the bank. The caucuses are going away. So she's got to raise some resources and also, you know, rally the troops to say that this doesn't have to be a, a permanent situation. Yeah, that's such a great point you make there, Todd, that I hadn't really thought about before. Uh, so I want to reemphasize it that, you know, without those resources, the inability to, to, to jump in and, and really communicate with Iowans on a mass level about uh, a given topic. And, and I, and it, and I got to thinking about it the, right away. Like when's the last time we saw an ad from uh, the state party um, about anything outside of an election season? I, I, I couldn't even yeah. tell you what that was or when that was. And, and, and not that Republicans do that a ton either, but you mentioned a, a recent example. Now it was an outside group come in, but uh, um, there was an, as you mentioned, an ad made, with and for Governor Reynolds and, and her private school plan. Um, uh, I mean, clearly, Iowa Democrats have to find a way to get their message to get the right message to and get that message to Iowans and connect with more Iowa voters. And, and that's one way you could is by jumping in an issue that maybe you think the public is in just pure numbers wise is more on your side of the issue. 
um, even if they have the numbers at the legislature. And maybe this is an example of one where they could have felt that way and, and could have done something about, but without the fundraising, without the money in the bank, you can't do that. Yeah. And my, my colleague, uh, Althea Cole, has a column over the weekend, basically comparing what happened to the Republican Party around 2012 uh, to what's happening to the Democrats now. And, the, you know, the Republicans then, uh, you know, the, the Ron Paul faction had taken over right. the party. They'd alienated some of the establishment donors. The state party was out of money. And basically one of the first things that Jeff Kaufman did when he came to power as the chairman was to set fundraising goals and raise money. And, and you know, obviously that worked out well. He had Terry Branson in the governor's office. And as anybody that's followed Iowa politics for a long time, you know, having the governor's office is a huge fundraising advantage. I mean, because the governor can do things. And so donors want to be with the party that can, that can get stuff done with the governor and the governor's mansion. So uh, Democrats don't have that, but I think, I think the comparison is apt because uh, you know, once Democrats get sort of get their part, get their house in order and settle some of the differences between the progressives and the establishment and all the things that you normally see inside a party, if they have resources and are unified, then, I mean, that's the start of, of working your way back. One yeah. thing I, I would kind of say, though, that's a little bit different about those two scenarios that, that other people have talked about, this isn't a novel idea for me, is that uh, Republicans have tended to seem more in tune with, in some ways, their base, and the base seems to have a larger say in what goes on versus, you know, in Iowa in particular, you see in the last uh, election in the, the caucuses, you know, Bernie was right there with Buttigieg in terms of finishing first. But you wouldn't necessarily see that reflected in a lot of like top Iowa Democratic brass that would seem more to be in the mold of a Bernie versus a Buttigieg or some of the other Democratic candidates. Yeah, and 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 that's an interesting point. And it, 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 it and I don't know if there's an obvious maybe answer that I should know to this, but um, you're absolutely right about how Bernie did in the caucuses. But then if those in those the candidates that run in that lane, so to speak, for, uh, you know, to put it as <laughs> lazily as possible um, in other statewide elections, ha have trouble getting uh, attraction. Uh, so it's interesting how Bernie was able to capture that movement, that lane, uh, that kind of share of the Democratic primary electorate here in Iowa. But Iowa candidates in, in Iowa races have not had that same success as Bernie uh, has. Um, and, and part of that is definitely that he's the one of one kind of figure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Republicans benefited uh, while the nation suffered, but Republicans benefited from Trump expanding their base because, you know, through the two Obama terms and uh, past that, I mean, there were there were a lot of, you know, non-college educated working class Iowans who still voted Democratic. They, you know, maybe their families had ties to unions and, in places like Fort Madison and Burlington and Clinton and Fort Dodge and places like that. But, you know, Trump came in and played on grievances and broke those ties and expanded the Republican base. So, I mean, it's, it's a combination of resources and the fact that Trump just sort of remade the landscape in Iowa. And I, you know, I, that, that's the problem for, for Democrats is that, you know, how do you get those voters back that are now sort of voting on things that they they can't really address through 
legislation or or messaging. It's more of a sort of a feeling or a cultural identity that's that's driving some of that. Yeah. Um, long story short, best of luck, Rita Hart. Uh. <laughs> I, I would not want that job. It's kind of like, I, I don't know, you're, uh, the, you know, the, you're the activities director on the Titanic post iceberg. <laughs> hey everyone, come and, come and play shuffleboard. It's fine. <laughs> I tell you, and look, I'm going to be as Iowa nice as I can do this, uh, uh, but I, uh, you talk about no, who would want that job. Um, for those of us who were on that call the, for that meeting, the state central committee meeting covering that process and the election of the new leaders, uh, who boy, um, I, I don't, I, I, that question comes back to mind. Who would want this job? Cause holy moly, was that something else? All seven or eight or nine hours of it. Uh, I don't remember what the final total was. Jeez. Goodness yeah. gracious. Uh, Robert's uh, Rules of Order has got an all-time workout uh, that that, uh, that fine winter Saturday in Iowa. Um, one of the things, speech, speaking of that marathon meeting that they uh, did and, and voted and was somewhat uh, contentious within the party leadership um, uh, was that Iowa Democrats created a, a new steering committee, uh, which will... Uh, be involved in um, kind of overhauling some of the way the party conducts his business and organizes. Uh, Caleb, you you were lucky and dodged the bullet on that uh, state central committee meeting, but you did hear two of those two new steering committee members uh, talk about this, uh, Democratic legislative leaders Jennifer Confort and Zach Walls. Uh, tell us what they had to say about this uh, new committee and what they see as their role in it. Yeah, so this uh, new committee is going to consist of Rita Hart, as you mentioned, Walls and Con first, um, State Auditor Rob Sand, five members of the State Central Committee, and then all past presidents, so that would include Ross Wilburn, the or past chairs, are going to be ex officio officio members. Um, so it's going to direct some of the higher level party business like financials, um, developing a statewide messaging strategy and organizing efforts, and also setting the agenda for the full committee and, and giving recommendations to the committee. So Senator Zach Walls said it would help, um, I mean, it's in the name, right, help steer the state party and give it a more cohesive direction as it tries to rebuild after these last few election wallopings. Um, and uh, he also said that pointed to some of the discord that happened during that meeting, as you mentioned, Aaron, took a while to get things going. Um, and Walls tweeted that last Saturday that, you know, this is a perfect example of why we need a steering committee, um, was, was what he said. Uh, so Jennifer Kahn first, um, the House Democratic leader, uh, said she thought it was important to have elected officials in on this conversation of, of you know, where to bring the party. Um, and if I understand right, I, I think Senator Walls said this, some of those members are not voting IDP members, um, Walls and Confers, maybe I don't know who all would, would fall under that umbrella, but um, they're, they are involved, you know, kind of in that front lines of crafting legislation and then also running in elections themselves. Um, and to that note, you know, there's also um, Rob Sand, especially, I mean, I mean, because I think Walls and Confers aren't, aren't in terribly competitive districts, but Sand, you know, has had success winning statewide as a Democrat um, this year. His opponent didn't have the biggest uh, help from the party, maybe, but um, you know it's still a, a fairly big. Uh, you know, he's the only one who did it. So, um, yeah. So these are people kind of 
in the trenches and, and running elections. Um, so, so Confer thought that, that would be a good input. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what, what they said about that committee. Yeah. And, and, uh, Walls is on Iowa press this weekend. Uh, so we talked to him a little bit about it again this morning and, and, um, uh, yeah, I had something, uh, I think you summed it up really well, Caleb, it, it really impressed on me and I, and I kind of asked him as a follow-up. So it sounds like one of the things that maybe they were concerned about that was happening was that these kind of folks felt disconnected and, and I'd say these kind of folks, the elected leaders in the party, um, uh, like, Zach Walls, Jennifer Converse, and Rob Sand maybe felt a little bit disconnected from the state party in the past. And, you know, the party was doing its own thing. And meanwhile, as you mentioned, the people who were actually running in campaigns and out on the front lines and, and winning in these offices didn't have as much um, involvement in the process. And this would obviously uh, change that in a pretty significant way. So um, it'll be interesting to see the, the influence that they have uh, over uh, how the how the party conducts its business moving Did, forward. Um... I'm sure Go ahead, Jared. Oh, sorry. Did, did I, I was wondering about this because this seems like a little bit of a tough needle to thread, maybe for them. Did they talk at all about the difficulties of making this pivot to like something new when you know maybe they didn't have the same connection to the state party in the past? But these aren't new figures, so they've been around when all of these beatings and wallopings were happening, and so it seems like that makes your pitch a little bit tougher that you know the way forward when you were around <laughs> when it started to get pretty lean. <laughs> Right, right. It's like if if you had the great ideas uh, before, why weren't you sharing them with the rest of us? Well, um, you have to. You have to sort of wonder: Is this? I mean, I think this. I don't think this is a bad idea. You wonder though, you know, whether this is going to become sort of the center of gravity in the state party instead of the central committee. Right. You're going to have these. Gonna yeah. yeah. Whether you're going to have because you know it makes sense to have people that are actually campaigning out on the out in the state to sort of you know, expand this, but also, you know, just God bless those Democrats. They're always just one good committee away from, (laughs) from success. They do, they do love a committee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I kind of had the same thought. I mean, um, and Aaron, maybe there were people who were expressing this on that meeting. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think if you're a, more progressive, uh, for maybe further left than the state party member of the Democratic Party, and you know you're thinking, how can we, you know, we're, we're, they're talking about revamping the whole, you know, overhauling the party and how it functions and how it reaches out to people. Yeah, I mean these are these are kind of you know what I, I what the Iowa equivalent of like establishment Democrats. So I, I can definitely understand um, some level of, of opposition there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and um, I think both those points tie together that Jared, Jared, and, and you, and then Todd made is that uh, in, you know in this that group is is if if certain group of the state central committee feels uh, less empowered and and um, in the party because this new group essentially kind of takes over things, does that? Um, you know, backfire in that way. So it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I I think uh, Jared, you you put it right. There's 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 a needle to to thread here um, for this new uh, steering committee. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how how that goes. Um, <laughs> I, fo- I apologize to all our Democratic listeners for the gallows humor humor here, but the good news is it can't get much worse uh, for Democrats in Iowa. So uh, no nowhere to go but up. Um, speaking of, uh, bad news for Iowa Democrats, um, this weekend, and again, acknowledging, uh, the timing of all this and the news cycle 
may be at a, at a different point depending on when you're listening to the podcast. Um, but Tom, is there any hope at all uh, that the National Democrats plan falls through on Saturday? Something blows up, puts gum in the in the works, it gums everything, and Iowa's first in the nation status lives to fight another day. Is there any scenario where that happens? Um, I think that uh, that scenario is highly unlikely. Um, although if you talk to uh, Rita Hart, the new chair of the Iowa Democratic Party, um, you know she said this week that she she says that this is not a, a done deal um, and believes that there is still hope for Iowa um, and said that she's hoping that we have some good news. Um, I, I'm skeptical that that's going to happen. Um, you know, um, you know, what was it? last week, earlier this week. I don't know. Days run together. Anyway, I mean, the the, the DNC Rules and Bylaws Committee um, recently voted, um, I think unanimously, I think it was a 25 uh, to nothing vote um, to give New Hampshire and Georgia more time to change their 2024 primary dates. Um, so, uh, and, and we heard um, comments from Rules and Bylaws Committee members um, particularly, I think, um, Minion Moore, saying that the panel remains committed to seeing Biden's vision for the 2024 primary move forward. Um, and, you know, um, I also uh, spoke to one um, uh, Democratic legislative leader who said that, you know, frankly, the conversations that are happening right now um, among Iowa Democrats, you know, they're not focusing on um, you know, the first in the nation status, you know, the, the, the conversations are more turning to how are Iowa Democrats going to win elections? Um, and, and so they seem to be pretty resigned to the fact that, um, that this is a done deal and that, you know, Iowa, at least for the Democrats, you know, they'll, they'll lose their first in the nation status. Um, and, uh, and again, like I said, um, you know, DNC members earlier um, this month, you know, um, went ahead and, and are going to give um, New Hampshire and, and Georgia more time, um, you know, I, until I think early June to move their um, presidential primary dates to um, February 13th, I believe, in, in New Hampshire's case, and then February 20th um, for Georgia. Um, in New Hampshire, I believe, also has to expand uh, early access to voting um, if it's going to remain one of the first states um, in, in that proposed new presidential primary calendar. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, um, th that's that's the sense that I have, too, that uh, there's the, the optimism is not probably terribly founded uh, in reality. But uh, We'll find out for sure this weekend. Tom will be covering it for us, so watch your local Gazette and Lee papers uh, uh, for that story and, and out on the Twitters as well. Um, and then finally this week, uh, over where Iowa caucuses are still first in the nation, but you wouldn't know it because it's been a pretty slow start to the 2024 uh, Republican Iowa caucus season. Uh, but this week, here she comes to save the day, Nikki Haley, the former and U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. and South Carolina Governor shook us out of our caucus doldrums with her announcement that she intends to run for president. Uh, so we have another one um, on the board. And, and Haley is no stranger to the Hawkeye State, having been here many times in recent years. Um, 
in fact, Jared, uh, I believe you said you covered an event with Nikki Haley up in, in Sioux Center in the recent past? Yep. Uh, that was uh, the uh, 2022 iteration of uh, Randy Fincher's, uh family picnic. Uh, and when Haley was at uh, that event, there was a whole lot of very specific wording and a lot of couching uh, because she said <laughs> then, uh, if it looks like there's a place for me, I'll put 100% in to running for president. Um, I don't know if that place is on the same uh, block as the place Mike Pompeo uh, has gotten somewhere in Iowa. Uh, and, you know, maybe the two of them are staying down the road from uh, Tim Scott. We'll, uh, we'll find out soon enough, I, uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the as we've talked about, the big question is how many of these candidates are going to, uh, jump in uh, and, and present a challenge to, to Donald Trump and how many of them seriously can and what's the where's the room, where's the lane for them. Um, Tom, you covered Governor Haley uh, when you worked at a, a newspaper in South Carolina. Uh, could you did, were her presidential aspirations apparent back then? Um, at the time that, uh, she was governor of South Carolina, um, I don't know that it was readily apparent that she had, um, you know, aspirations for the presidency, but it was definitely clear, um, that she was, you know, um, looking to build, um, her national profile and was, and was, you know, angling for, um, a more prominent national role in a, in a courts, um, you know, was named, um, uh, uh, U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under the the Trump administration, um, but um, with her exit from from the Trump administration and um, you know stepping down as um, uh, U.S. ambassador to to the UN, I think it became you know pretty readily apparent that um, she did have presidential aspirations. Um, you know, she almost immediately formed a new um, uh, PAC. Um, and, um, uh, had, had a, put out a, put out a book. Um, and I was just going to ask, did, had, did she, has she written a book yet? Nope. Yeah. 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 She, yeah. So she, she, yeah, she wrote, she wrote a book, you know, did a, did a whole national tour, um, on, on her book and, and her time, um, in the Trump administration and, uh, in the governor's office. Um, and then as I mentioned, um, you know, formed um, a new political action committee and, um, you know, almost immediately started um, going around the state, um, trumping for and supporting um, Republican candidates, um, you know, at, at, at various levels. And as you mentioned, you know, she's been no stranger to Iowa. You know, she's been here supporting Governor Reynolds. She's been here um, for different events, supporting other Republican candidates, um, you know, not just Randy Feinstra, but, you know, Ashley Henson, Marionette Miller-Meeks, um, Brenna Bird, the list, you know, goes on and on. So um, I think it was, it's, it's been clear for a number of years now since she exited the Trump administration that, uh, you know, she's had kind of her sights set on a presidential campaign. Yeah, so uh, it, it's just going to be interesting, uh, obviously, going forward to see. Uh, and, I, and I was going to ask um, how soon we'll see her in Iowa. And then I, I believe, um, and I, I didn't make a note of this now, so I'm working off memory here. Uh, but we saw some national reporting that she is planning to come to Iowa, right? Did, uh, anybody jump in and tell me I'm I'm correct in remembering that? Yes, I, I, I saw that. I think it's the last week of February in yeah, that range, yeah, late right. February. Yeah. Okay. My so, uh, so, my favorite. Ver- 
uh, my favorite version ever of someone, you know, like really going in on the book thing uh, is definitely the, the 2012 cycle uh, with uh, Newt because some of his events in uh, Iowa, it seemed like he was plugging the book more than uh, his like run for president. So that, that's real commitment to like the whole book thing before you, you run. That's right. That's, that's really strengthening that um, uh, escape parachute, right? Yes. <laughs> Books are forever. Presidential runs are not, you know? Right. That's exactly right. Oh, man. I love that, though, too, as Tom uh, uh, kind of flushed that out. It occurred to me, pack book and trips to Iowa. That's kind of the whole eternity of running for president, right? So that's once, yes. once you've done all three of those things, you're probably in. Well, then you, you got you to gotta hunt pheasants or something. <laughs> you or or go to a pizza ranch. Yeah. Well, yeah, Pizza Ranch or, yeah. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess, I guess you don't have to hunt pheasants with Steve King anymore, although I I suppose you you can if you if you want. He's 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 Nothing probably got some he's got some slots on his calendar, I imagine. So. <laughs> oh, man. Did I hear did someone write did I hear Carrie Lake is coming to Iowa? Is that? Yes. Yep. Yep, so, she's coming to uh, Bettendorf uh, towards the end of the month. Um, now, I read somewhere, and again, I didn't make a note of this, so I'm working off memory, so I apologize if I'm way off on this, but I, I, I seem to remember reading that that was sort of a cross-promotional thing between herself, but also she'll be talking up uh, former President Trump uh, in that visit, too, so almost as a surrogate sort of uh, visit will be interesting. Sarah Watson couldn't join us um, today, but uh, there's a good chance that she'll be covering that, and we'll ask her more about that uh, trip in the coming weeks. But yeah, that'll be an interesting one, uh, to say the least. Got to raise funds for those lawsuits. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> Governor-elect Carrie Lakes, we should be still be calling her, right? She's still working on that. Governor-in-waiting, governor, um, governor in waiting, I guess. We'll yeah, be. yeah. Um, and Tim Scott's coming back to Iowa, the Republican senator uh, from South Carolina, right? I'm not messing yep. that up. Um, uh, and again, a frequent. Now he hasn't made anything official yet, but he's been around Iowa enough times that he's obviously on the radar. Um, uh, he's coming back to a Polk County Republican event towards the end of the month too. So, so we're starting to see a little more action here. And, and again, as we've said in the past. Um, it, it's kind of funny as we have these discussions and why aren't people coming and we're in January of the year before the caucuses. So there's plenty of time, but in fairness to us, the, the ball eight years ago, the last time Republicans were looking for a candidate, uh, the ball was moving at this point. Uh, uh, as we've talked about, and speaking of Steve King, we had that citizens, big citizens United event, um, uh, in 2015, uh, that featured, um, an all time speech, uh, by Sarah Palin, which was amazing, even for her standards, uh, which is obviously a high bar uh, or a low bar, depending on how you look at it, I suppose. Uh, so, anyways, the point being, we we had we had seen sit candidates already at this point eight years ago, so it was it was noteworthy that we really haven't yet. And now we're starting to see some movement. So I was just going to throw in there that uh, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson also is expected yes. to be. Uh, in in your neck of the woods, Jared. Uh, I think uh, later this month as well. All the stars are out. All the <laughs> all the all the chance of ASA for Asia. Um, <laughs> I'm you know I'm still trying to decide should I throw myself headlong into watching this Republican caucus campaign or 
should I just schedule a weekly root canal? I, I haven't haven't really figured out what I'm going to do o- yet. It's the only show in town this year, Todd, so you might as well get a ticket and grab a seat and enjoy the show. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sounds great. Was that was that not the sales pitch you were needing? Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll do better. I'll come up with something better for next time. Um, and I, I made a note to myself, uh, Jared, I wanted to circle back on this just for clarification's sake uh, before we sign off on the podcast here. Um, I, I, w- I want to make sure that you understood when I talked about doubling your salary, we're talking about specifically the podcast salary uh, that oh, you draw down, not the Sioux City Journal salary. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So That'll, so, be, a, uh, that'll be a separate it's... negotiation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Triple it. Who cares? You know? Really, really go for it. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, everyone. That's, edition, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Tell your friends and subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. I tell you, and this is not bragging for the sake of bragging. Um, I get great feedback from the uh, newsletter. Uh, people enjoy uh, reading it, uh, and it keeps them connected to our stories, and I, and I try to keep it light as much as possible um and it's it's led to some people subscribing to to the papers too so uh if you're not yet uh i wholly encourage you to uh uh, subscribe to the newsletter you can do that at the gazette's website thegazette.com if if you're a newsletter person there there's you're probably already subscribing to something you can get rid of and replace with uh, there you go yeah you can do the one in and out rule that's what that's what i have at home in my t-shirt drawer uh it, it finally got Two packed, and my wife implemented a one in one rule out rule for t shirts. And, and you can do the same thing with your that's, newsletters. That's tyranny, right there. That's just <laughs> you shouldn't be able to have as many t shirts as you want, Aaron. That you know, yeah, true. But I also uh <laughs> do zero help with the laundry, so I didn't feel it was a battle I wanted to wage too far into. So I, I sat, I, I, I laid down my sword on that one. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's probably smart. <laughs> and it, it's probably, I'm sure there's T-shirts in there that I haven't worn in 15 years, so in all honesty. Um, of course, a uh, reminder, uh, don't forget that every uh, the work of everyone who you heard, oh, bless me, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Don't stay out past your bedtime, kids. You won't be able to talk the next day. Natalie Brown will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you all for listening.